HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is supported by HRN business member Gustiamo, the place to buy the best Italian food online. Gustiamo imports the most authentic food from Italian farmers and food makers dedicated to their food and traditions. Make Gustiamo your online store for ingredients and pantry staples from Italy. Visit G-U-S-T-I-A-M-O.com. Gustiamo supports HRN's creative educational reporting and storytelling that drive conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. I am Chapriwan. And I'm Ryan Acock, the Cocktail MD. And? And today we're talking about... No! What? Jesus, Java. No, Ryan, you're also the author of... Ah, oh, that's true. Oh, and, and the author of Simply Cocktails. Thank you. And you haven't even Yo, introduced the, the podcast, Lou. What the hell? You have to be shouting. No, but because the, the, the Heritage Radio Network people, they say to me, oh, Lou, you got to stop making these ads for people who don't pay for stuff. So we can't like just do a fake ad for Ryan's book. They said it has to be like naturally come up in the conversation. Oh. So it just did. Okay. okay I get See? that. See? So that's how, you right? We just sneak it in so Heritage Radio doesn't even notice we're doing it. In such an elegant way. Okay. Editor's note. We totally noticed. But we love the Cocktail MD just as much as we love Lou and Chava. And you should all go purchase Simply Cocktails by Ryan Acock. And this is Agave Road Trip, the award-winning, critically acclaimed podcast that helps Green Gags bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits in rural Mexico. And today we're talking about the one thing that <laughs> might save your life if you are into traveling around Mexico and buying beautiful mezcal. That might save your life? Well, yes. I don't know about you, Lou, but every time I meet that one mezcalero that I love with a passion, 
and we've been drinking for a while. <laughs> that one. That There's one. just that one. The, the yeah. one that touches my heart and all my sensitive fibers. And your knees. And after drinking for a while, they will come with the pechugas, the puntas, the thing they have been saving since 2004. And then after all of that has been served, they will come with a huge damajuana or jog with some sort of poisonous animal in there, most likely a snake. Huh. I actually, I've never had that happen. I guess I don't love enough mescaleros. Well, you go to bed at nine, so they never have oh, the time to actually escalate it to the snake. Doesn't come out till 11. Okay, so, so, this episode then is about what exactly? Well, I, I've been wondering for a long time, and I think you have too, like, mm. are you going to die if you drink some of the venom that could be left behind in the snake in one of these jugs. And the other thing too, it's, I think I've seen more than one product in the market arguing that it has snake venom in order to give it some medicinal properties. And is that going to kill us, Ryan? Or is that actually going to make us some good? Yeah, so that's an operative question. So there's actually a beer on the market right now called Snake Venom. Now, it has no snake venom in it. The name comes from having 67% alcohol by volume in a beer. And so we, that, we, that's what also got we, me thinking of, well, why not consume snake venom if, if you wanted to live that dangerously? <laughs> well, hang hang on a second. I know this derails us, but I'm I'm really curious. Do you think that there's a potential lawsuit in this? Like, I, I understand there's a Lou, whole Lou, fireball, medical, no medical whiskey, and whiskey. Not, not, not legal? We have to find a legal correspondent? Not legal correspondent. Yeah, we have still to find that one. Okay. <laughs> we'll get Shelby on to do that episode. Okay, so there's no venom in there. But if there were, as there is with, say, Flor del Desierto Sotal, is it going to hurt us? Yeah, that's the operative question. So, so we think about uh, snakes and, and how much death and destruction they can cause to people. So worldwide, about 100,000 people a year die due to venomous snake bites. Now, that number is much smaller here in the United States. You're looking at more like 10 people a year. And, and that's usually due to things like rattlesnakes or cottonmouth moccasins. And so the question is, well, if, if snake bites are potentially hazardous from from their venom could you drink it and and for the short answer is yes because lots of things uh, eat snakes so birds eat snakes and uh, and then we'll talk about this later a little but some humans also will eat snakes or drink their venom and as you've noticed in the pachuga that we can sometimes consume it in sotal or we can sometimes consume it in mezcal so you can. Short, short answer is you can effectively drink snakes' venom. I knew this. I knew this. I, that is, I'm so yes, happy. that is the short answer. So usually snakes work by there, there are two different types of poisonous snakes worldwide. So the first type is called the crotalid. These are the pit vipers that we have in the United States. These are the rattlesnakes and the cottonmouth moccasins. And the way that they work is when they inject their venom, you get a lot of swelling and you stop forming the ability to make blood clots, so you start bleeding internally. And it's a, it's a really slow, kind of painful death. As opposed to the elapidids, these are your coral snakes. These, when they inject their venom, cause quick paralysis and then death because you're paralyzed and now you can't breathe and you can't move. So, these, but both of these poisons work because they have to be injected into blood vessels and into soft tissue. Oh. As opposed to if you were to drink snake venom, the idea is that a combination of things like stomach acid will help degrade that venom. And so that's why things like birds can go and eat a poisonous snake and not be affected by it. 
I mean, that's the whole story about my country, an eagle eating a snake on top of a nopal, right? I don't know if it was a poisonous snake, but it was definitely a snake. And that's on, that's in our flag. And probably the nopal didn't taste good either. Yeah, but but hang on a second. This is confuses the hell out of me because doesn't the, like when we drink alcohol, yeah. the alcohol gets into our blood system. Yes. So if we drink, if we if we can, okay. So let's set aside eating. Wait, wait, the snake. wait, 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 wait. If we're but drinking, said stomachal acids. So the alcohol it gets to your bloodstream because it goes through your stomach and then makes it into your bloodstream. Therefore, so it, just first, is... it first has to interact with all these bizarre set of things that are going to most likely neutralize it in your stomach. Right, Ryan? Yeah. So alcohol is a really small molecule, and that's why it gets absorbed pretty readily from the stomach. But more complex proteins typically go through some kind of degradation process, either in the stomach or if they're absorbed, go straight to the liver and get conjugated or metabolized there. So an example would be insulin. So insulin, you have to inject it. You cannot eat insulin, you cannot mm. drink insulin. And and that is one of the frustrations from the pharmaceutical industry is how can we make it so that someone can just take a pill for their diabetes because people don't want to give themselves shots of insulin repeatedly throughout the day. Oh, that's amazing. That, that is... Okay, hang, wow. hang on a second, because I had another conversation uh, just this past weekend with my friend Aaron about this trend uh, going on in high schools where kids are consuming alcohol not by drinking it but by putting it in their buttholes. <laughs> yeah, so, and that actually, and, Ryan, that's really funny. I found some um, inscriptions in Majin temples where that was actually the preferred way for Majins to consume alcohol because it makes it faster, Lou. What's closer to your stomach? <laughs> and no, no, no. But the point was, it's not. It doesn't go to the stomach. And, and in fact, it, the way that he described it to me, and you know, he's he's not our our medical correspondent, but the way he described it to me was, um, it gets you drunk faster because it actually skips the organs. The 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 it skips the stomach. It skips the kidneys. Skips the liver. And just goes directly into your bloodstream. So if somebody were to take a bottle of Flor del Desierto Sotal with the <laughs> snake venom in it, and they were just to put it in their butthole, is that a recipe for death? Yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. Uh, I wouldn't recommend anyone putting ethanol in their rectum. Yes. That sounds like a quite for, 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 for a number of very painful reasons. I wouldn't either. Uh, but, oh, I, and, and and it's a good way to get alcohol poisoning, is what I understand, since it does bypass all of those organs that help process alcohol. So we do have suppository medications. They absolutely exist. There's things like Tylenol suppository for especially young kids with a fever. There's things like Finnegan suppository for someone who's vomiting so much they can't possibly take a pill, so they use a suppository. So it absolutely exists. I've never heard of anyone wanting to get drunk off of putting alcohol <laughs> in an enema and using it that way. Seriously? No, never. Why, why Lou? How and many people do you know that would no, admit to that? Wait, oh, man, like, don't make me pause okay, this Lou, episode Lou, and Lou, pull Lou. up okay. all of the stories. Let, let, let's say this don't is like... a very interesting thing we can touch upon uh, some other time <laughs> in the future. Uh, I, I know there's the very um, possible uh, chance that someone might want to do this with Sol del Desierto Sotol. But I think what it's even more interesting, Ryan, like uh, connected to the research that you did, was that it's not only that snake poison, it's not lethal, but you even found evidence that it can help you with some gut problems. It's actually probably the one beneficial element you can add to alcohol that can be healthy. Yeah, so I, and this is all in, in my study, so take it for what it's worth. But 
Brazil, for some reason, Brazilian research have done a lot of work on looking at snake venom and could it be any kind of curative for any kind of disease. Mm. And so I found several articles by Brazilian groups, and they're all working on mice. We keep that in mind. But one <laughs> Brazilian group gave rattlesnake venom to mice who had inflammatory bowel disease and found that various inflammatory markers started to improve following the administration of the venom. So, oh, I, wow. yeah, maybe, maybe. Another group said that they were giving rattlesnake venom to mice who had oral, like, so mouth cancer, and found that the tumor size would shrink after getting snake venom. So, again, maybe there is some kind of medicinal benefit for those. You have to remember these are very controlled settings using mm. not humans. And so this would be years down the road before this could ever be thought of to be given to a person. Because my understanding is from, like, every 10 things that work in animals, it's not only, it's like one or less than one that actually can be translated to humans, right? Right, probably so. So whenever you hear somebody say, research shows whatever cures cancer, yeah, in a uh, laboratory condition using a Petri dish, sure, but that's a far cry from what happens to humans. Mm. But, I mean, that is like, I mean, again, like, I don't want to, I don't want to go far-fetched with this, but for me, it is so interesting that it's not only in Mexico that I find these jugs of alcohol preserving snakes that have venom in there. But I've seen this all over the place. I've seen this in Brazil. So I'm not surprised at all that Brazilian groups are trying to justify the intake of snake venom. And I also see this in Vietnam. And so it tends to be a cultural thing that is replicated around the world. Do you think that it's there's any possible chance that they realize that somehow it helps their tummies or it helps them feel in any way possible that there's a correlation between the small traces of snake venom in that alcohol and something that they've decided that it's good for them? Maybe. So we've done this for years for things like in ingesting juniper, for example, or ingesting mm. various bitters and saying that that's good for the stomach. So somebody may have along the way discovered that <laughs> drinking snake venom made them feel better. I don't, I don't doubt that. And they're, probably the best case of this is Steve Ludwin. He is a former punk rocker who's now known better as the snake venom guy who will drink and inject himself with snake venom on a regular basis and has done it so often for so many years he's now considered immune to any kind of poisonous snake so there are people who have done that what? and yeah <laughs> Yeah, but, so for well, past, how, how how do they test if he's immune? Like how, yeah. how a test like that goes? Yeah, I I don't know how a test like that goes. I imagine it's because he just injects himself with it and he's he's no longer having responses to it. So again, he did this over the span of 30 years and he mentions that there have been a few times earlier in his career that he did get quite sick from injecting <laughs> venom. So so again, take that for what it's worth. I probably would not go down the same path and try that myself. Well, Ryan, and the other thing that I saw in your research too is that you do talk about tolerance, right? Yeah. If if is it possible? I mean, we have now uh, gone to the conclusion that we can drink a certain amount of of snake venom without dying because our stomach is going to sort of neutralize it, or it's going to take a lot of its uh, poison out. But are there any species on the planet? that have immunity. I'm just thinking about if I'm drunk in the desert and a snake attacks me, is there any way that I can prevent that from killing me? Well, so we do have anti-venom, if you're thinking about that. So well, we yeah, do... yeah. I mean, but, but I, I don't want to have to go to the hospital, right? I just want my body to do the work. Oh, I don't know. If you're talking about bleeding something uh, like a, a uh, an animal that goes after snakes, particularly wants to eat snakes... 
like a mongoose and then seeing like, can I bleed the mongoose and, and use that <laughs> as an antivenom? Yeah, yeah, like something Probably like that. Probably a bad idea too. <laughs> okay, but, uh, but there are species in the planet that can be bitten by a snake and still survive the attack. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so like a mongoose would be an example of one. Okay. And I mean, finally, and and then we can go to uh, maybe follow Lou's lead because I saw he says very worried looking onto the internet really fast. But the last, yeah, everything I looked at it just kept going to scrotums and penises <laughs> and alcohol. Yeah, Lou. Again, like I, I think that I don't want to suggest the Google words that you use to do that research, but I don't think you're gonna find anything pretty on the internet after suggesting that. <laughs> but I think the last part of your research that I am obsessed with is that. Cleopatra famously committed suicide by snake bite. And you found a Bible-length article talking about her curatorship of the snake venom she was going to use. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I thought it was the, the coolest thing ever. Yeah, so Cleopatra was part of a long line of basically invaders into Egypt who took over the the uh, the monarchy. And so that, that Ptolemy dynasty lasted for quite a few years. And so she uh, was made the bad decision of aligning with the wrong people when the Romans invaded. And so she was forced to commit suicide and she did it by by snake venom. At least that's the, the rumors that she died by having an asp bite her on the breast. And so it led to a lot of myth and lore about snakes and the and about Cleopatra. And so the article that I sent you, and I hope you posted it in the show notes, is, is incredibly long, but it goes into the whole Egyptian dynasty, and it goes into various snakes, and it goes into Cleopatra as an individual. And so, and again, and that may all be a rumor. She may not have died from a snake bite. It may have been something completely different that she committed suicide with, but it's captured our attention for the last 2,000 years, so it's what we have and what we go with. And, and and I love that article, too, because it goes back to what you were describing, the two different ways in which you can die by snake venom, sure. right? Like, one is very physically gruesome. Like, you'll see a lot of marks on your skin, and, yeah, like, your body doesn't like it at all, and you're going to be basically bleed to death. And I think the one thing that I found fascinating about the article is that it said that Cleopatra had done a lot of research on the different effects of different snakes' venom. So when she chose a cobra to to be to, to be bitten with, she chose that because it was gonna leave absolutely no physical marks on her body because it wants to be like basically her her uh, nervous system was gonna stop and no no marks were gonna so I just love how vain that is and at the same time I think uh, yeah I, I just it's like. Cool, Cleopatra, you're you're the best. But I also am thinking. You, so you're thinking maybe that's in your future. Chad? No, no, at all. But 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 I'm just oh, thinking okay. like, does it make any difference uh, drinking these two type of venoms? You know, is it the the same thing to drink a venom that is gonna cause paralysis to you, or are you gonna is the same to drink a venom that is gonna make you bleed to death because you can't coagulate your your blood? Yeah, probably not because because the whole again your stomach's gonna work on that and your liver's gonna work on that in a way that if it's injected directly into your bloodstream you're not gonna get those kind of protective benefits. Mm. So. Yeah, and, and again, here in the United States, we mostly use, we mostly have crotalids. Those are the ones that make you bleed a lot and make you have a lot of swelling. And and that is when you hear crofab or the antivenom, that's what we're using. We're, it's a monoclonal antibody, or an antibody, mm -hmm. I should say, that's directed directly against the venom of a crotalid snake bite. And so th there's also no cross-reactivity. So if you get bit by a king cobra, you can't use crofab to treat that. 
Yeah, yeah. Can you use anything for that if you happen to be wandering around, say, a 24,000-acre ranch in Durango? So the way that you're going to die from an elapidid snake bite is going to be you're going to stop breathing. You're going to get paralyzed, and your diaphragm's not going to work, and you're going to stop breathing. So if someone can breathe for you, then you can potentially get over that when the snake gets away. So if they're going to, like, let's say they put a, a mask over your face and breathe into you and give you mouth to mouth, or if you've got someone who's a paramedic who can put in an endotracheal tube and put you on a ventilator, in theory, you can eventually get over that. That's, I, I will have never thought that. Wow. That's pretty cool. And, and I mean, and last question, at least from my side, uh, would you recommend bartenders to start using snake venom in cocktails? Absolutely not. <laughs> I think that will be a bestseller. <laughs> yeah, I, I think even using like snake venom beer that we talked about earlier, I think that's a terrible name. It sets a bad precedent for people of trying to do things dangerously that they shouldn't. You're not Steve Ledwin. You should not try drinking snake venom. You don't, you don't go Is to it, the bars that I go, Ryan. Where I go, snake venom will be such a good bestseller. <laughs> And if you're talking 67% of alcohol, too, doesn't that mean that you have to be using the freezing method? Otherwise, it would be distilled and be whiskey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, fr it's a freezing beer, yes. And doesn't that mean that you've got just like a ton of the, uh, what is it, the methanol yes. left in there? Right. So, so the way that snake venom beer is made, it's not using distillation. Instead, they're using freezing method, or we call it jacking. And so you get below the freezing, uh, freezing level of water. So now all of a sudden you've got ice that you pull out and everything that's left over is whatever did not freeze. So ethanol, methanol, if there's any kind of esters or acetones in there, all that's left behind. So you're right, Lou, you're going to greatly concentrate all of those other toxic alcohols by using a jacking so, method. So then would the irony here be that maybe it's actually more dangerous than drinking snake venom? That is a possibility. I haven't thought of that. So <laughs> now you've got a... A potentially venomous or poisonous product, but not because of snake venom. Huh? Cool. And just to to wrap up my earlier comment uh, on Newsweek, uh, oh no, that's today. And Newsweek, uh, oh no, in, in March of 2022, headline: Tampon flasks filled with alcohol, dubbed genius idea in viral clip. Also sounds quite painful. Yes, yes. Don't don't do that, guys. Don't do that, Lou. If you're get, trying to get any <laughs> ideas about this, just don't bypass this trend for the first time. Hey, you know me. I'm as trendy as they come, Java. <laughs> well, Ryan, thank you very much, Senor Lou. Thank you very much for this episode. I'll see you guys around. Hasta pronto. Adios, adios. This has been Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. Your hosts are Lou Bank and Chava Periban. Sound engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Mark Rico. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, recommend it to your enemies. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Lou is in charge of our social media. So if he happens to sound like an old man, forgive him. He is one. A Gabby Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pitbulls, Inc. Agave Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. 
Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the food world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you here on Heritage Radio Network can drive you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If it drives you to drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly, eat responsibly too, and listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly. To listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly, wear protective earbuds. While wearing protective earbuds, do not drive or walk. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to get up and stretch every 30 minutes. If you get up and stretch every 30 minutes, do not stretch beyond your abilities. Stay within your defined stretching capacity and consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you do not have a doctor, listen to all the shows on the Heritage Radio Network. There has to be at least one doctor among the Heritage Radio Network podcast hosts. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip out.